All right, welcome to another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I'm excited because learning to speak well and communicate well and present well is such a valuable skill, even if you're never stepping on stage. And it's doubly valuable if you are a marketer, an entrepreneur, somebody who's standing out in front of your brand, your company, to bring people in the door. I have Brendan Kumarasamy on, and we'll do the full bio in just a second. But Brendan, let's just start off. What's the number one most important thing that I should know if I want to become a better communicator, presenter, speaker, just somebody who's speaking with my words and connecting with people? Absolutely, Roy. Pleasure to be on. You know what I would say is that the, if I only had one tip to share, it would actually just be a question, which is, how would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator. The challenge that we have around communication in general, Roy, is it's saturated in negativity, stress, anxiety. Nobody wants to do it. Whereas for me, it's like, wait a second, like it makes your life better. It's the way you raise your children. It's the way you build your businesses, the way you talk to your family. So when we answer that question, how would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator? You get, you get motivated to actually practice it. I love that because it's not forcing motivation in from the outside. It's saying, what is the difference in your life that you can imagine happening if you were to become a more powerful, persuasive, uh, engaging, connecting communicator? And I love that because uh, one of the things that we learned from studying human motivation is just that there's no, there's nothing that we can do you or me, like Brennan, you, me, whatever, there's nothing we can do to motivate the people who are listening to this, who are watching this. We can only help them find their own inner motivation. And that's what's going to drive them forward. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, Brennan is the founder of Master Talk. How many, how many subscribers or so do you have on your YouTube channel at this point? Uh, I think like 30K. About 30,000. I think it's over 30,000 now. Uh, so widely popular YouTube channel on becoming a better presenter, speaker, communicator. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become the top 1% communicators in their industry. He also, well, he has this popular YouTube channel that we talked about called Master Talk. And the goal there is to provide you with free access to communication tools uh, to provide that for you and everyone in the world. Brendan Kumarasamy, welcome to Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I'm so happy to have you here. Pleasure is absolutely mine, Roy. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I now I have to reword this first question because of your great answer, or this next question because of your great answer to the first one. Um, so why has it been so important for you to become a, a, a an effective public speaker and communicator? Yeah, for me, Roy, it was mostly an accident. I never really understood the value of communication until I, I became a great communicator. So how did that happen? Well, what happened was I went to business school and I studied literally the opposite of what you would think a communication professional studies, which is accounting. So I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. But while I was there, I started competing in these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, Roy, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing basketball or baseball or some other sport that would be too dangerous for me to play. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. And that's how I accidentally got great at communication. But then as I got older, I started coaching a lot of the students there, and that's what accidentally made me really good at comms. Huh. 
Interesting. So, so for you, like it, it started as this being, being thrust into the situation where you're presenting things competitively. Um, and then professionally, if, so obviously a, a, accountants can have great, can have, can have great careers, can have uh, great businesses, great lives. How has being an effective communicator uh, maybe changed the trajectory after that? Uh, college experience for you? Oh, absolutely, Roy. So, you know, now, now that I'm a lot more mature than I used to be, uh, I would say communication has so many benefits, but I think the biggest one, the the overarching theme, it's an amplifier of dreams. It's an accelerant of dreams. So what does that mean? Regardless of what the dream is, communication just helps you get there faster. Let's go through a few examples. Let's say you mentioned your audience is in the copywriting space, agency marketing. So there's two sides of that equation. One is if you run the business yourself and you're the CEO or freelancer, or if you're the an employee, let's say an executive at like a VaynerMedia or a Saatchi and Saatchi, right? An agency type environment. So if you're on the executive side and your goal is to be in the C-suite, obviously being a better communicator will help you rise the ranks because at the top of any corporate ladder is people management. That's what you're spending most of your time doing. So communication is an essential skill because you yourself become the personal brand of the industry. You have to go to panels, you have to go to conferences, you have to speak so people know who you are and you get more business that way or when you run at RFPs. Or if you're the CEO or the entrepreneur of the business, it's the same thing because as your business scales, you have to ask yourself, are your communication skills scaling with the business? So let's say, for example, I'm doing 300K a year, 200K a year in a copywriting business. I'm usually doing most of the work, right? You're writing all the copy, you're doing all the sales, all the marketing. But when you scale the business, other people have to do those parts of the value chain for you. But if you don't know how to delegate and communicate those tasks effectively at that level, you're creating a lot of inefficiencies in the business. So those are the main benefits. Yeah, I well, I feel like um, if you're in if you're in almost any situation and you feel uncomfortable communicating with strangers or even uncomfortable communicating with people who might be in your team, either you know superiors or people who report to you, and you show up in all of those situations with a little bit of anxiety around just being able to be present and be yourself in the communication, you're going to struggle. So if I need to delegate and I'm communicating my delegation, but I have this tinge of anxiety, I'm not going to be an effective delegator. If I need to walk into my boss's office or a client's office and say, I'm worth more than you're paying me right now, right? I'm I'm not gonna get that if I don't have this presence and powerful communication. If I want to present my idea to a client, like even, even um, an example that copywriters often run into is we end up in these peer reviews, right? So like maybe the client is reviewing our copy and giving us criticism, right? Uh, the people on their copywriting team are giving us criticism about our copy. And in a situation like that, having confidence in your communication abilities allows you to step up and say, either that's really good criticism. I screwed up there or, or I disagree with you and here's why. It just takes that anxiety out of the equation. Um, cool. Well, so so we're talking about anxiety, right? Um, and it's cliche, right? More, more people are afraid of public speaking than dying. And we can 
that I hear it from my people all the time, like that that same fear shows up in talking to prospective clients, you know, calling strangers, et cetera, going to networking situations. If you coach top 1% communicators, like I'm sure that that fear comes up a lot. So what have you seen as effective ways or the most effective way to deal with those fears and anxiety around just being a present and powerful communicator? For sure, Roy. So, so there's a couple of points there. One, I would, I would always like to argue that the fear of communication never really goes away. There's always going to be some anxiety that people feel whenever they're speaking. It's just the levels will be different. So I'll give you an example. Let's say me and you are having lunch in Nebraska and somebody calls me and I pick up and it's Elon Musk. And Elon Musk goes, hey, I really enjoyed uh, the episode you did with Roy and your YouTube channel. Can you coach me? I'll pay you $3 million. Would I be nervous? Would I be anxious? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter if I've coached a lot of people. I'd be super anxious about that. Or when I started Master Talk, I was pretty much a kid, right? I was 22 years old when I started making videos on executive communication. So the fear and the anxiety will always be that at a certain level. So the way I've always seen it, Roy, it's not something we should try to remove because that's a false expectation. Instead, what we want to do is manage it like a relationship, like a marriage, like a partnership, and always get the the winning end of the stick in that specific context. Let me give you an example. Let's say we take a boxing match where okay. one side of the ring is the fear, the anxiety, the stress that comes with speaking. Oh, I don't want to do this. And the other side of the ring is the message. Why is this important? Why does this actually matter? Like I started making videos, not for my executives, but for the seven-year-old girl who can't afford a communication coach who can't relate to somebody who's 50 years old. That was the main reason I did it. So for me, it was never about saying, let's remove the fear from the boxing ring, but rather make sure that when that bell rings, that your message wins the match and gets the knockout punch every single day of the week. And as long as you bring that mentality to the game, and your fear is just a little bit less important than the message, you'll just win all the time. I love that. So it's it's about finding the finding the importance in the message that is stronger, that that gives you the strength to uh that, that gives you actually the courage to to step up and do it even when you're feeling the fear. I mean, there's that there's that famous book, Feel the Fear, Do It Anyway. And mostly what you need to know is the title, right? Um the other thing is like, how much have you worked with, with reframing anxiety? Because I feel like, like I've, I've learned, I've learned that our physiological experience of anxiety and excitement are almost identical things, right? Like the, the pulse racing, the sweaty palms, the like, um, you know, the, the, the hyper respiration, all of those things that are markers of anxiety. If the story that's going on in our head is I'm anxious, I'm afraid of, I'm a, I, like, I don't know if I can do this. That's a, it, it's something that tends to degrade performance, but some people, um, well, so if you imagine like a sports game, like you're, I, my son plays hockey. I played hockey. Um, I coach his team and, the moment that you're going out onto the ice, you're having all those same physiological sensations, right? But it's translate like the the story that's told is like, I love playing hockey. I'm excited for this game. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to use this energy to like go in, right? And it's the same things going on in our body. It's what's going on in our head. So how much have you like worked with that or experienced that in terms of, say, for example, Elon Musk is knocking on your door saying, hey, 
let's, uh, let's do some coaching. Like how, how, how do you talk to yourself in a situation like that? Right. So there's a couple of frames here, Roy, that we can explore. The first one is by Alex Hormozzi, which is outwork the doubt, right? Any, any doubt that you have, just outwork it, right? I'm a great example of this. I started coaching people double my age. I was super anxious, a lot of anxiety. So how do we fix that? We fix that by going back to square one. What is something I know about this field that they don't? And how do I just focus my energy and my time just on that one lane to serve them in that lane? Because they're probably smarter than me in all the other lanes. So I think that's the first piece is outward. I agree. Yeah, of course. So the second piece, which goes back to reframing the anxiety, one piece that I can talk about is from Israel Adesanya, who's a UFC fighter. It's like fighting. And he has a great quote about pressure. He says, pressure is like caviar. It's an acquired taste that not a lot of people have. And I thought that was really interesting because his mindset around anxiety and fear and stress is that it's an opportunity to do something big with our lives. Because if we weren't feeling anxiety, it probably isn't important. So when we reframe it that way, it's a lot easier for us to tackle the anxiety and the fear, something really, really important, rather than a nuance to our life or a nuisance rather to our life. But that's a harder frame for people who are just getting started. That's why I'm a big fan of the third frame, which is the last one, which is momentum. For me, it's all about momentum building. I know we'll talk about that when we get into the tips, but for me, communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, right? One of those balls is eye contact. One of them is storytelling. One of them is smiling. One of them is body language. One of them is all this stuff. And it's overwhelming. So for me, the question has always been, what are the three easiest balls to juggle in speaking? And if we just do those three balls, you'll easily get better. All right. What are the three easiest balls to juggle in speaking? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Great question. So I call them my easy threes. Let's jump into them, bro. So easy ball number one, which is the random word exercise. So the random word exercise is pick a word, any word, light bulb, computer screen, silver cup, and create random presentations out of thin air. And this serves two main purposes. The first one is it helps you deal with uncertainty because, Roy, life is filled with it. It doesn't matter where you are. Let's say you meet somebody new. You have no idea how that conversation is going to go, what questions will be asked. So if you know how to talk about avocados for 40 seconds, you can pretty much talk about anything. And the second piece is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. And that's the magic of the random word. And I also encourage you listening to the podcast to integrate this in your life. Do it in the shower. Do this with your kids when you're picking them up to and from school. Have them do the random word exercise. And that's what makes it routine. Okay, hold on. I'm going to, I don't normally do this, but I have this I have this fun little tool called the Storymatic. And Ooh, the tagline that? is, Six trillion stories in one little box. Which one will you tell? Mm. And it is, it's cards, right? And there are different ways to play with these cards. The red card, I'm trying to remember which side is which. Yeah, the 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 red side is like a situation. Uh, first day of retirement, right? Uh, the, the yellow side is character identities. And so like this one is person who goes door to door. And uh, the the way that it's often used in a writing context is you draw two identities and a um, and a situation, and you just tell a story about it. So if you can imagine the person who goes door to door their first day of retirement, like what is this person's like the the reality is even though this person was like a door to door canvasser for 
um, for political causes, and they they made this big career and identity out of um, out of out of like getting signatures to advance things onto the ballot so that people could have their voice heard and in the vote. The reality is that this person was living a life of quiet desperation because they wanted their voice to her, be heard, but not like in a political context, but really they were a yodeler and their secret passion that they only ever practiced in the, in the shower was uh, that they wanted to be a yodeler. And so um, from this, like this, this desire to become a yodeler, now that they're retiring from going door to door, they've decided that today is the day that they're going to go be a yodeler. And so they actually go downtown and they put a top hat out on the sidewalk and they start yodeling uh, to as a busker to get tips. And then they're discovered and some Hollywood executive happens to be walking by who had some movie in the works and was trying to find the perfect yodeler. I don't know, like we're just coming up with crazy things, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, but like, there's lots of ways to practice this skill. I mean, I, 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 do improv actually, um, which is part of this and part of my interest in things like that. And you can play with these different ideas. And I don't know if what I told you was any good, right? <laughs> like it's silly, right? Um, but that's kind of the point is that you just get comfortable coming up with ideas. So that's like one of three tips you said. There were there were three balls that we're going to juggle. What what do we have next? And we'll see if I have any fun toys to <laughs> bust out for that. Absolutely right. Just just a comment on what you shared. But definitely yeah. a big fan of the tools that you shared. It's really interesting. I think the only caveat I would add is that for me, that's more ball ten. Because what you did, you're really good, right? So that's like <laughs> expert level. You're like going into a situation, and and of course. Uh, I've I've done a little bit of improv too, but it's it's definitely tough for somebody listening to this. For those of you listening, just do bottle of water and just start there. That's ball one, right? right? Well, you could tell just to, just like think of a situation where you that involved a bottle of water or changing light bulb or something. Yes, there you go. Sorry, sorry, no, I didn't mean to like overshoot this. <laughs> you're all good. You're all good. So ball two now. What's ball two? Ball two will really help your audience a lot. It's called the question drill. So the, 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 the context is we get asked questions all the time in our life, right? But most of us are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive. We wait for the question to come up. Hey, what about this and the deal? And you're like, oh, I don't really think of that. And I'll give an example with me. When I started guesting on shows probably three, four years ago, I sucked. I remember some guy asked me, like, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at him and I said, uh, New York City. Los Angeles. I don't know. So so I didn't answer it correctly, obviously. So what I do differently, Roy, every single day for five minutes, that's it. Not 50 minutes, not five hours, five minutes. I answered one question that I thought the world would ask me about my expertise. That's it. Every single day for five minutes until I had an answer for most things. But if you do it for every day for five minutes for a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about your industry or the business, and you'll be bulletproof. That's number two. And then finally, number three is so simple, nobody does it. Just take out your phone and send video messages to the people you care about the most in your life. 20 seconds to just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and I'm super grateful to have you in my life. That's it. Do all three. That's excellent. 
And that, I mean, that, that gets you, especially if any kind of context or situation that you would end up in professionally would be in media. I think that a lot of people struggle. Like right now I'm looking at myself and you on Zoom on my screen. And for so many people, even that moment is paralyzing, right? Seeing themselves on screen. And if you're, if you're thinking, oh, this is just a quick message to someone I love, like it just gets you much more comfortable with that process. And, and so many of these things are about putting in the reps. Yeah. Um, do you know, do you know Dan Sullivan, by the way? Um, Absolutely. Strategic coach. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I love his four C's concept and I, and I feel like it, it is really relevant here. You commit to something that you want to do like, oh, I want to be a better guests on podcast interviews. I act with courage, right? I go out there and I answer questions in stupid ways. Where does the fear, but, but also that, that was a hilarious answer, New York city. Um, but, but you, but you act with courage when you're, when you're not sure. And then through courage, you gain competence. Like you realize, oh, that was kind of a stupid answer. I should maybe come up with better answers. And so I'm going to go through Brendan's exercise of asking myself and answering a question, right? Uh, gaining competence there. And then it shows up later and somebody says, wow, Brendan is such a confident, uh, such a confident interview subject here. Um, where does that come from? Well, it came from that process. And then you're able to like go back and commit to more things, bigger things, right? I love it. Love it. Um, so you recently did a video on structuring presentations. And obviously, like we could show up, we could have zero structure to this. We could uh, we could just get on stage and ramble. And that's going to get us one result. Or we can show up intentionally with more of a plan and that's going to get us a different result. So, so like, why have you found that structure is so important for yourself, for your clients? And what are the essential questions that you might ask yourself or considerations around how you structure presentations? For sure, Roy. So there's, there's the long form answer and the short form. So I'll give the short form. And if you want the long form, we can jump into that too. Okay. So the, sh the short form is just a simple idea, which is around jigsaw puzzles. So, you know, when we were kids, you know, we used to do these things, puzzles, right? 500 pieces, 1,000 yeah. pieces, put them together. So the question now is when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first and why? And the answer, of course, is the corners, the edges, because they're easier to find in the box and they're easier to put together, right? Yes. And then we work our way into the middle. So why am I telling you this uh, in, a, in a communication podcast? The reason is very simple, because when we prepare for a presentation, let's say at an agency or whenever we're pitching to a client, unfortunately, we do the opposite. We start the middle first. We shove a bunch of content. We get to the presentation. We ramble throughout the whole thing. And the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so thanks. Not the right approach. So instead, what you want to do is you want to structure and prepare and practice presentations like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first, meaning practice just your introduction 20, 25 times. Just the intro. Seems like a lot of times. Not really, because yeah. your intro is like two minutes max. It'll take you 45 yeah. minutes to do this. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. And then work your way into the middle. I was waiting for you to tell me which movie it was. <laughs> Last time I checked, it's a terrible movie. Um, yeah, 
so so when you know how you want to begin and you know how you want to end then you can fill in fill in the spaces and oftentimes in in copywriting i mean we should be thinking that way if we're marketers if we're copywriters if we are professional communicators how are we going to open this to get people excited for everything that comes next, to make the attention sale, which is something that I beat people up about, right? You have to make the attention sale first. So practicing, really honing your intro 20 times through, 25 times through, making sure that, oh, I'm sure that if you go through that same intro 25 times, you're going to find opportunities to make it more compelling, more exciting, more interesting, more, um, more of a hook of their attention. And then at the end, we we have to know, like, what do we want people to do and how are we going to get people to take action? So the opening, the closing are such powerful points. And then everything else kind of just supports that. Right. It, 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 it walks people. It walks people from point to point, from garden stone to garden stone down the path to that destination that we want them to get to. Um, so let's see. What about if you. So one of the things in one of your videos that I watched was that I think it was the how to sell your ideas to anyone. Um, you did focus on taking, getting people to take action at the end of the presentation. Is there anything that you consider when you're structuring a presentation to actually motivate someone to take action, whether that is, for example, I don't know, becoming a client or it's just some kind of action that is going to uh, improve their life? For sure, Roy. Excellent question. So there's three parts to this and how I see it. And a lot of people miss the logic after question one. So there's three parts to communication when we're sharing an idea. The first one is, are people listening to my ideas? So obviously, if people aren't listening to my ideas, it's it's already game over. So what can we do to hook them in? The second question is, are people taking action on my ideas? So at the end of that presentation, what do I want them to do? Are they doing that? And then the third piece, which I believe is just as important as the first two, is are people sharing my ideas with other people? And that's what leads to a scaling of ideas okay. and amplification. So what happens now? What happens is this is why in any business owner's life, any executive's life or any person's life, you need to focus on one presentation because it's really hard to get all three across a multitude of different topics. Let's say we take a Tony Robbins as an example. He's been presenting the same topic for like 40 years. That's why he's a master at all three questions. He's really good at getting you to listen to his ideas. He's really good at getting you to take action on his ideas and to share the experience is you have it as events with other people. Oh, I walked on fire. I did this and it was amazing. Right? So now when we bring it back to our own ideas, we have to spend a lot of time thoughtfully answering each one. So for example, let me use a simple idea that I think I shared in that video. It might have been another one. Let's say we got a cupcake recipe that we're sharing. Okay? So I just share the recipe. <laughs> so this is the first time sharing this recipe. And then I talk to everybody next week and I go, hey, team, did you all do the recipe? And they all go, no, I don't have time for that. Oh, why? Because there's too many ingredients, Brendan. Oh, I have seven kids. I don't have time to do this. And then you're like, oh, like, how do I make this easier? Well, if you had less ingredients, if it was easier to make. So then what happens is I go back to the drawing board. I rejig the formula and the recipe and I cut down the ingredients and I really sell them the idea of doing this as a family activity with their children rather than something mundane and boring. So I change up my script and I go, team, I have the easiest cupcake recipe in the world. This is what's going to happen. Boom. It only takes five minutes to make. And then next week, 
50% of them took action on the recipe. So that makes sense. But then when I go back to those people and I go, hey, did you share that recipe with somebody else? They go, why would I share it with somebody else? Then I was like, oh, okay. So now I go back to the drawing board. I make it really easy. And then what I do is at the end of that presentation, I encourage them to say, hey, if you really enjoyed these cupcakes, what I would encourage you to do now is take some of them and share them with family members, people in other homes, your neighbors, people around you at work, bring cupcakes to everybody. And then when that person does that, they go, wow, these cupcakes are amazing. How did you make these? Oh, you got to check out Brendan's recipe. So notice how the same topic we just went through a three-question funnel with the same thing. Whereas if we're trying to be scattered and try and do seven different topics, we never complete the full extent of the knowledge. Okay, excellent. So what about, yeah, I think so. Um, wh what about a presentation makes it really um, interesting that pulls you in that way, but also makes it shareable? For sure. So, so let's get into the long-form piece of content structure. So we talked okay. about the corners which is, yeah. you know, you practice both edges and you figure it out. So now the middle is about saying, one, what is our key idea? Whether your presentation is 45 minutes or 10 minutes, always ask yourself, what is the one thing that I want people to take away? Because chances are people will forget most of it. Like, let's take this podcast. What is the one outcome that I have in today's show? It's very simple. To convince people that they can be great speakers. That's it. That's the only intention. But at the end, people go like, oh, like the random word exercise isn't that hard. The question drill isn't that hard. Like the video mess, oh, I could do that with my aunt tonight. So notice how the, every time I've, I've spoken something on the podcast, I try and make it as simple as possible. Even you brought up the story Maddox game, even that I simplified it even more. I say, oh, you don't have to play that game. Just do like the water <laughs> ball thing. So, so why, why am I doing that? It's actually very conscious because I'm aware of what the key takeaway is, which is to make communication sound so easy that even a five-year-old could do it. So everyone else listening to this can too. So now that's the first piece of the structure. The next piece of the structure is what I call my three to defend. So three to defend just means what is a story, an analogy, a quote, a statistic? It could be anything in the toolbox that you personally feel is the best way to defend that message. Let's use me as an example here. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. You want to jump in? No, I said, okay. Oh, yes. oh okay. Gotcha. So let's say the first part of that I've tried hundreds of different stories, so many different analogies, statistics, uh, people die from the fear of communication. Yeah, it doesn't help people take action, Roy, so I never talk about <laughs> that, right? You, you'll never hear me talk about glossophobia once in my YouTube channel, which is the medical term for the fear of communication. I don't even bring it up because it doesn't help people take action. So what do I do instead? I found that the number one way to convince people to take action is to talk about my personal story which is I have a physical disability on my left arm. I studied my whole life in a language I didn't even know in Montreal, which is French. So every time I went up to the podium in first grade, I literally was speaking a language I didn't know. So I was really nervous and I had a lot of anxiety because people would always look at my left arm whenever I was speaking. And then when I got to university, you would think that a communication expert studied communication. I got a bachelor's degree in accounting. I started making executive communication tips at the age of 22 in my mother's basement with no money in my pocket. If I could do it, anyone can. But the reason I tell that story is because I know it works. Excellent. Excellent. So I feel like you, you talked about something that made me think of the rule of threes and how it's used in storytelling, how it's used um, structuring one, two, three. And then it felt like you, and, and maybe this is me, 
not hearing quite correctly or getting too engrossed in the story itself. Um, but you talked about having the, the number one story, stat, whatever, that is going to support my message. Um, was there, do you stack that at all in terms of filling in the center of the puzzle? Or, For sure. Yeah. Here, great question, Roy. Here's an easy way I think about because I don't overcomplicate this today. Let, let me start with the most important thing that everyone should be doing. Because if you're not doing this, you can't jump into this, which is like ball 10, 11, 12. Are you booking 15 minutes in your calendar every day to do the random word exercise, to do the question drill, and to do the video messages? And that's the big problem is most of us listening to this, Roy. We don't do that. So it's the same thing, let's say, when we go to the gym. Yeah, sure. Can we do calorie counting? Yeah, sure. Can we nitpick over what our training regimen is? Sure. But are you walking every day? Like if you're not yeah. walking every day, you can't sprint. So start there. Book 50 minutes in your calendar and do all three exercises every day. Now let's get back to the, the structure. So there's different frames of how to do this, right? We have Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, how you go through the struggle and then the pain and then you create the outcome. But you know what I found, Roy? All of these frameworks are too complicated for the sake of it. For me, the big idea is just test everything. So the reason I knew my story worked wasn't because I followed Joseph's framework, even if it's amazing. And I did, I guess, indirectly. It's because people would come up to me and say, Hey, I spoke English as my second language and I really struggled with that. Thanks for sharing that story. So I know now when I'm talking to that person, this works. So essentially the big idea here, Roy, is you need to be willing to test hundreds of different ideas. This is why I'm a big proponent of staying in one lane. Because when you stay in one lane, you can try 50 to 75 different ideas. And then the ones that people rave about, they go, why did you take action? Those are the ones that you keep in your talk track. And that's why Gary Vaynerchuk says the same 10 things every time he gets up on a stage. It's always the same track. Hey guys, yes, yeah, so I'm from Belarus in Russia. Then I moved to New Jersey and I, I worked with my dad's liquor score. I built it. Then after I started VaynerMedia, I built a social a media mogul enterprise. And now I started VFriends, which is my NFT collection. So does anyone have any questions? It's always the same five parts, literally all the time, right? And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because he's tried everything else a part of his story. But when he sits down with the audience and goes, what do you actually remember from my speech? Nobody talks about the other 75 things you tried. They only yeah. focus on gratitude or things like that. So the person knows that's what you got to keep in the track. Yeah. One of the things that I also noticed that you're doing here that um, that's that's part of your compelling story is, is kind of the damaging admission thing. So uh, a lot of things that we might be most afraid of the world seeing about us are the things that people resonate with the most. So one of the things for me is like ADHD and dealing with ADHD and uh, going back. And when I was in middle school, I started failing like one class a term just because I didn't care about the class or there was something that didn't, didn't have me. Like, it wasn't that I wasn't capable. It was that the way that the ADHD brain works is it's very interest-based and less um, importance-based, right? So if I'm interested in something, I can excel at it, but it doesn't matter if other people say this is important, right? And so many people with ADHD um, diagnosed or diagnosable have a similar experience. Uh, you know, maybe they struggled in 
a few jobs until they found something that interested them, whether that was entrepreneurship or a specific career or something. Um, and, and that is something that it would be easy to be like, no, I'm not ADHD. I'm not like, I've never dealt with that. I've never struggled. Right. But that's a compelling thing that people see that aligns with their own experience. And so things where you're dealing with learning in a second language, where you're learning um, any kind of physical disabilities, um, any kind of uh, mental disabilities, any kind of whatever, when you are able to connect with people on those levels, you have like a friend for life, not just somebody who's like, oh, that's a interesting point you made about public speaking, right? Um, and that's what they remember. Like that's, and and you find that through testing. You find that through, that's, that's really cool that you have that same mentality because so many people in our little corner of marketing, like direct response, like we are obsessed with testing. We're obsessed with testing messages. Of course. Um, and the, the exact same principles apply across the board. I so- Exactly oh. what you shared there, Roy. No, like, I just completely agree with what you shared. It's like, we already know what to do, right? Like in copywriting, you don't just, uh, you don't just put copy and run ads against it. You AV test, you split test, you look at whatever, and then you figure out what the control is, right? You go, okay, which is the one that gets the highest conversion? And that's the copy that wins. And then you put all your ad spend into that copy until it doesn't work anymore. But we don't apply that same principle in the context of communication and public speaking. It's that willingness to test different ideas and thoughts. And the other piece, which is the last layer of all of this, is really having deep discussions with your audience. Because that's what helps you understand whether what you're sharing is landing or not. And if you have that frame, you'll definitely be successful. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, I think so many opportunities that even, even like your, your daily exercises, including, you know, the single word exercise and um, asking and answering questions, those are great ways to test before you test, right? Uh, one of the most famous copywriters of modern history is Gary Halpert. He's passed away a few years ago, but Apparently, if you worked with Gary, worked with Gary, a lot of what you would do would be you'd tool around in his boat, drive around in his car, whatever, and he would be just talking copy. And he would spend two weeks just talking copy, talking copy, talking, and it would be about the, it's like the presentation. It's giving the presentation over and over and over again, answering the question over and over and over again until it clicked. And then he'd sit down in an afternoon and crank out the ad. Right. But it was it's that process that he's going through of a form of testing there. So uh, I, I say uh, to start this question, I remember my very first conference that I got people to pay for or workshop that I got people to pay for, including I had a guy fly from England to Lincoln, Nebraska in November during a cold front and in England. A cold front is 40 degrees Fahrenheit and it's raining, right? In Lincoln, Nebraska, it was like seven degrees with a wind chill of negative whatever Fahrenheit and he didn't have a coat, right? I got people to fly in, pay thousands of dollars, come to Nebraska and I recorded it. I paid a videographer to record this two and a half day workshop 
And then I went back and I listened to the recordings and they were completely full of ums, ahs, awkward pauses, but pauses punctuated by all those filler words. And I, I hear in your speech, you have very little unless they're intentional. What kind of tips do you have for folks to get rid of the ums, the ahs, the other filler words? Of course, the million dollar question, right? And congrats on the success of the workshop as well. That's awesome. <laughs> so here's what I would say. Let's start with why do we say them in the first place? The reason we say ums and ahs is to buy ourselves time. So when we were in high school and we were standing in front of that classroom as kids and we forgot what we wanted to say next, we would go, um, uh, to buy ourselves time to figure out what to say. Or when you ask me a question on a podcast and I don't know the answer, I go, uh, to buy myself time. But now the qu next question becomes, what do the best speakers in any industry do differently? Because they're not smarter than us. They have to think too. So the only difference, the big one, is that they still buy time. They just do it by saying nothing. So instead of doing, uh, oh yeah, great question, Roy, they just look at you for a few seconds. They say, great point, Roy. Here's what I think. Great question. Here's what I'm thinking right now. So they use pauses to buy time. So now the question becomes, how do we practice this? I don't think your audience will implement this, but I'll give you the strategy. The strategy is called the endless gaze. So the endless gaze is, is simple, just not easy. Pick somebody that you love in your home and stare into their eyes for three minutes without saying a word. And the reason this is such an effective exercise, I do this when I'm live in person with people. I just pause for two minutes and I just look at everybody for two minutes and I don't say anything. And the reason is because when we're able to pause for that long of a period of time, it's very easy for us to pause for two seconds or one second or three seconds whenever we need to slip out our ums and ahs. So that's the strategy. And if you can do the endless gaze, then you could definitely replace your ums and ahs with pausing. I love it. <laughs> I The people on the audio are, are wondering if something broke or something. I, just, you know, <laughs> I had to, I had to do it for a beat there. <laughs> so I guess as we're getting closer to the end of the hour, I want to think about here if if I'm practicing all of this and I learn to become a more confident, comfortable, communicator, I gain competence in some basic skills that are going to help me if I'm showing up with prospects, if I'm uh, if I'm stepping on stage, if I'm maybe hopping on a webinar and I know there's hundreds of people there wanting to hear from me. What are some markers to look for in terms of how my life is changing in good ways? Or even I know that I know that for so many people, communicating more confidently with, with loved ones, communicating more confidently with their kids, with uh, potential romantic partners, there's lots of places, right? What are some markers that I can look for in terms of positive ways my life is changing as I start to grow more comfortable practicing these skills in, uh, in, out, out in nature, out in the real world? I, I love the KPI question, Roy. And let's start with the challenge. I have an answer, but let's start with the challenge first behind the question, which is it's really hard. 
right, to measure success in communication. I, I always like to give this fun example. Let's say me and you're running a marathon together, and I don't want to run it. I'm lazy. I want to stay in bed, but you're knocking on my door at 5 a.m. every morning. You're going, we're going to practice today. So I run, and I'm going, and I, and I managed to complete the race. Obviously, I'm not getting first or second place like you, but, but at least I, I make it to the end of the race okay. But the reason that motivates me is because I can visualize both of us finishing the race, giving each other high fives, big hugs, and my participation ribbon in my head my hand excuse me so it's easy for us to measure that result or like weight loss not that i need it or that you do but weight loss too right so let's say you're losing x number of pounds it's very easy to measure or money in a bank account financial targets what does communication success look like does it look like uh, less ums and ahs like what are we counting here so here's the easiest way to explain this Roy. for me it's not about measuring general success but rather metrics-driven success for each of the balls. So remember when I said communications like 18 balls juggling at once? So the way that I measure success with clients and internally is through one ball at a time. So let's go to the random word exercise, right? Okay. Have we done that exercise 100 times? That is the only thing we're looking at. It's, it's a binary answer. It's yes or it's no. Yes, I've done this exercise 100 times or no. And then people ask me questions all the time. Well, Brendan, what's the framework? How do I approach this? Should I start with the story? Should I, I, and I always reply with, we do not get points for how well we do the exercise. We get points for how many times we do it. And what happens 100% of the time, not 90% of the time, right? 100% of the time right? There isn't one person I've coached in my career where this hasn't happened to, is I force them to do it 100 times. They have to do it 100 times in two weeks in my ecosystem. Whereas for all of you, just do it five times a day, you'll get there in three weeks. Okay, it's probably fine. But the point <laughs> is, is when you get to 100, all I ask the person to do is to just compare themselves. Who are you when you did it the first time? They go, oh, the first time I did it, like I I didn't even, like I couldn't even utter it. I didn't think I could do it. Now they do it 100 times. It's easy. So then we go to ball number two question drills it's Hold not on, about pause, oh, pause, pause. <laughs> commit courage competence confidence commit right. courage competence confidence that's what the 100 times does for you sorry right Go on. Yes. And, and i simplified it even more than dad sullivan does and i have big respect for his work i think the guy is incredible but but for me the key is really just just wake up and do it just wake up and do it like every yeah. day and and have like a have like people around you. Like you don't even need to do this. Like uh, go to a Toastmasters club if you're too shy to do that. Do this with your kids. Do this with your nephews. Do this with your significant other. Just throw words back at each other and not worry about the result. But then we go to the second piece, right? The question drill. Don't, oh, Brendan, am I answering this question correctly? Who cares? Are we just answering a lot of questions? Are we getting to a yeah. hundred questions? And if you're doing that, and same thing with video messages, one thing I force my CEOs to do that I can't force people listening to this, but if I was next to you, I'd force you to do it, is they go, how do I show appreciation for my employees? I go, perfect, here's what you do. How, I ask them, how many employees you got? They're like, I don't know, 20? I go, here's what you're gonna do today. You're gonna open up your phone, you're gonna send all 20 of them. I don't care if it's the janitor, I don't care if it's a vice president, I don't care if it's the CEO of the business. Every single person, you're gonna send them a 30 second video message to appreciate all the hard work they're doing for your organization. Oh, Brittany, I can't do this, I'm not gonna be perfect. Either do it today or you're fired from the <laughs> ecosystem. And they do it all today and it changes their life. And yeah. it changes the life of the people that work for them. That's it. That's so, that's so cool. And I mean, if you need, if you need a little bit of help, before you hire a coach like like Brennan, it's it, it, like I have the Loop Habit Tracker app on my phone, and there's plenty of habit tracker apps. 
you could you could just make yourself do it even once a day. Uh, you could do morning and afternoon, right? The the whole point is putting in the reps because the more that you put in these reps, the more the more benefit you're going to start to see. And it's not necessarily going to be what you expect or whatever, but it's going to show up in ways that you don't necessarily expect, but that you notice. So let's say suddenly you're in a situation where you're talking to a complete stranger at a work event, and maybe you know that they're a good potential client and they start to talk about something. Well, instead of stuttering and stammering and being completely confused and confounded about what you're going to say, you just go with their conversation. You listen. They they talk about a subject and you realize they're talking about this subject. And then you have a way to reflect that and be talking to them about what they're talking about. And there's a resonance. There's uh, uh, being copacetic with each other. and it it that connection creates good feelings and good feelings create client relationships uh, or relationships in general right excellent cool well brennan uh, i've loved this this interview i i think that there's a ton of value you've put here we didn't even get to things like all over your youtube channel you study different communicators different presenters for example i'm looking at uh present like Martin Luther King Jr., present like Esther Perel, uh, how to present like all of these different skilled communicators that you just break down what makes them great communicators. And I think I saw Warren Buffett one. Yeah, there it is. And I, I love the way that you come at this from all these different angles and all the different value that you can share. So I'll make sure to in include a link in the description to your YouTube channel for folks that want to go deeper with you. But also, can you tell us about uh, what folks will get if they go to rockstarcommunicator.com? That link will also be in the description. Uh, why would why would somebody want to go there and what will they get? For sure, Royal. First of all, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's such a pleasure. I, I had just as much fun nerding out around communication as, as you did. So, so thanks for that. And, and for rockstarcommunicator.com, one thing I do, Roy, is every two weeks, I do a live workshop over Zoom of me facilitating one of these events. So it's a 90-minute call. You learn a lot about comms. But more importantly, you get to see me apply the tips that we talked about today in a format where you actually see me give a presentation. So you can take notes on, oh, this is what Brendan's doing. Oh, that's where the structure is from. So you get a lot more learning from it and it's free. So if you want to jump on that, go to rockstarcommunicator.com and sign up for the next one. Awesome. So the links are in the description, the free communication training at rockstarcommunicator.com and the YouTube channel Master Talk. Brendan Kumarasamy, thank you so much for being on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Pleasure is absolutely mine, Roy. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And to all of you who have been watching or listening, I would love to hear what action item or takeaway Brendan gave you great action items that you might want to use to become a better presenter communicator in whatever area of your life that becomes most valuable and most relevant to you. Let me know in a comment with this episode and I'll catch you again in the next episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. So I'll see you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.